Welcome to episode 322 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back to another week. Got a good one this time. Oh, No interviews, boy. though. No <laughs> interviews. We did uh, three in a row. Yeah. I think that was good. A bit of a run. But we need to, like, pace ourselves, you know? Yeah. Time to answer some listener questions, or listener question singular. Yeah, and we have a lot to get through today. Let's jump right in. We have new supporters of the show. Huge shout out to Roy Stanfield, Eden Wolf, Joan Deshaux, and Damien Bilski. Hope I pronounced all of your names correctly. If I didn't, we're going to have you up on that sweet website at designdetails.fm. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you're listening and you don't know, we are working our way towards becoming a listener-supported show, and you can learn more at patreon.com slash design details. And a huge thank you to our golden microphone supporters from our Patreon. This week's episode is brought to you by Sisu. Sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data-savvy designer to help build the next generation of analytics software. You can find out more at sisu.ai. That's S-I-S-U dot A-I. This episode is also brought to you by Flywheel, a new golden microphone this week. Yeah. Thank you, Flywheel. Flywheel is a delightfully designed, managed WordPress hosting platform thoughtfully built for busy creatives. It helps you streamline your workflow with their slick platform and sweet set of workflow tools perfectly made for designers. You can get started at getflywheel.com slash design details. So thank you, Flywheel. And thank you to all of our supporters. Again, that's at patreon.com slash design details. Today's episode is also brought to you by Flatiron School. Flatiron is where the future is being built, helping you level up your skills in UX and UI design. It's fall. We're wrapping up the year. Probably start thinking of some resolutions for 2020. And if you are an entrepreneur or a marketer or just someone who wants to get better at design, uh, maybe you want to start thinking about how you're going to improve your chops, learn some new skills. Well, you can do that at Flatiron School. They have a 24-week course at one of their global WeWork campuses or online where there are committed instructors, both with industry and teaching experience, who are going to help you learn the skills, learn the tricks of the trade. You're going to be working on actual client projects so that when you graduate, you will have a portfolio of real work that you can show off in your job interviews. This is going to help you change careers with confidence or just level up within your current career. They're going to give you one-on-one support from a dedicated career coach, and that comes with a money-back guarantee. No reason to not check this out. Go to flatironschool.com slash terms. And when you're ready to join the global community of folks leveling up their skills in UX and UI design, go to flatironschool.com slash design details. Thank you so much to Flatiron School. Thanks, Flatiron. All right, Marshall, follow up. Let's dig in. We got a lot to get through. We do. We have an update to the Patreon. All right. So a couple things happened. Last week, we released our first bonus land episode. Oh, yeah. Do you want to explain what that is? It's uh, extra content for our Patreon subscribers. Short and to the point. I love it, Marshall. <laughs> bonus land is a magical I'm, place. I'm working on my <laughs> long-windedness. I'll, I'll help. Bonus land. <laughs> is a mystical place where uh, we record special secret episodes for our supporters on Patreon. Uh, We released our first one last week. We dug into all of the design details of the new AirPods Pro. It was a very fun episode. It was like 30, 35 minutes or so. Yep. So on the shorter side, um, but we're going to keep doing that. So if you're interested, those episodes are going to be available to all of our supporters on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash design details. Any support over a dollar, you're going to have access to a private RSS feed that gets you a couple things. First, it's going to get you all that sweet bonus land content. It's also going to give you a sponsor-free episode feed. So no more listening to long-winded ad reads. Yeah. 
So thank you, uh, everyone who's supported us so far. Uh, if you've missed it, go to our Patreon and you can grab your own private RSS link. And then for new supporters, just be sure to grab that link as soon as you sign up. It'll be on our Patreon homepage. So patreon.com slash design details. With this note, we are going to be simplifying the tiers as well. So we've been studying and learning and, and trying to understand what kind of tiers make sense and what rewards feel most valuable for people. And I think I think if I'm being honest, I think we kind of maybe were off by quite a bit with our initial tiers. <laughs> maybe. So what we noticed is basically everybody was gravitating towards the $1 and $4 tiers. Uh, we have a bunch of people at the $8 tier, which is awesome. But I don't feel like we quite hit the mark with just what we wanted it to feel like to support the show. Like it should be f feel fairly low friction, mm -hmm. but it should also feel quite rewarding. And I don't think we had the rewards right. So now with new bonus land content, I think we're going to make this feel very tangible. Like there's a very clear result of supporting the show. So yeah, as a result, we're, we're just going to bump down. We're going to have one tier. It's a dollar plus. You can pay whatever you want to support the show. That will get you the shout out, the, the link on our website. And for all of our previous supporters at the higher tiers, we're going to honor all of those rewards. So everybody that was at the $8 tier, once we tick over to December, we're going to start are reaching out for your pre-recorded cool thing and we're going to get you on the show but for everybody else just going forward we just need to simplify and make this really as approachable as we can which means pay what you want to support us and as a result you get access to everything uh the whole backlog of bonus land content and all future bonus content as well as that sponsor free feed yeah i think i think a buck a month for sponsor free is a is a fair deal right Plus, like, extra bonus content, I feel like, is a bonus. And if we ever do anything on top of that, you have access to all of our posts. So if we ask a question just of our patrons, you'll be one of those who gets that question and can answer and help influence the show. Um, and we have some other things that we're planning on doing with, the, with our patron feed. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this direction. <laughs> it's taken a little while for us to kind of figure out what the right formula is here. I feel like we're getting closer if not already there, I'm not sure how much closer we can get than just being like a buck or more, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You get everything for a buck or more. 80 cents or more. <laughs> yeah. I think a dollar is the minimum. Also, I think, you know, when we were chatting about this, which we have done for hours and hours over the last two months, yep. I think we realized that it's just more fun for everybody if we had a lot of people supporting us for a dollar a month than if we just had like 50 people supporting us for more than that. Not that we don't super appreciate that, but it seems fun to have a community of people who are interested in the show, want to support us, and we can provide extra content for those folks and have that be just more accessible. So yeah, hopefully a dollar a month feels good for people. And if you enjoy the show, uh, you know, a buck a month, we'll get you all that stuff. And hopefully that's also more tangible and just straight to the point. So let us know what you think. Of course, we're always open to feedback on these changes uh, for people who are supporting us previously at the higher tiers you know what can i say like thank you so much we appreciate it if you want to adjust down we totally understand why you'd want to do that but yep. it really means the world and we're going to honor all of the promises we made to those previous higher tiers with the cool things shout outs or, or pre-recordings so all that's gonna still happen yeah that was one of the biggest things is like how, how can we make sure that the extra value we add is seen by the most people pro possible but also not take away anything from that we had already promised, right? And I think this strikes that balance. What do you think? I think it's going to be hard. I think I, if I put myself in the shoes of somebody who was previously on the $8 tier, 
and then we unlock everything for the $1 tier, it might feel bad. Yeah. But I think we're doing the best we can in the situation. Like this is very much an experiment for us. We're learning. It's been two months. We're watching, uh, you know, feedback. We're watching, talking to people who have subscribed and just through this process, like we have to make changes and I'd rather do it now than, you know, in a year. So like, let's just make moves. Rip off that bandaid. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course, feel free to reach out to us, uh, with feedback or questions. Hopefully this makes sense. If you're interested, of course, hit up our Patreon. Blamo. All right, enough about us. Let's talk about you. Yeah. Let's talk about you talking about us. We got some tweets this week. (laughs) (laughs) Our first tweet, uh, it was about Meg and and Ryan's show from last week. This is from Alisa Bacon, who says, I'm pretty sure it's a rite of passage as a designer to ask the amazing and patient illustrators on your team if they have a set of illustrations you can just choose from, right? No, just me. (laughs) Alisa, you are so right. (laughs) Can I just see uh, like every illustration you've created in the past and I'll just pick the one that works for my use case? Yeah. 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 It's clip art, right? Uh, we also got a tweet from Joshua Taylor who said, uh, at Megan Ryan, I just finished your episode on design details. Thank you so much for that. It definitely gave me much more perspective and empathy. Hard agree, Josh. Yes, very much so. Thanks, Josh. Uh, we also heard from Joan Dishow, also one of our new patrons this week. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's J-O-A-N from Bavaria, Munich. So I'm Joan. Almost certainly wrong, but... Almost certainly wrong, sorry. Your heart is in the right place and you're trying. Yeah, Uh, but Joan tweeted at us, uh, even though I'm not a designer, I really do enjoy Design Details FM content. That's cool. Yes. Joan's an iOS engineer, uh, open source, working in open source. So thank you. That's one of my hopes for the show is that it's not just for designers. Everybody can appreciate or get something out of it. Yeah. You know, reach out to the engineers in your life and share the (laughs) gift of design details this holiday season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Proselytize for us. (laughs) Our last tweet this week came from Justin Rands. Justin says, this is a goldmine for people who are interested in illustration and how it works with product teams. Of course, referring to our last episode with Meg Robichaud and Ryan Putnam. So thanks for the tweet, Justin. Very much agree. All right. So thank you, everybody, for the tweets. But I thought, Marshall, we could do a bit of a recap because now that both Pablo and Meg and Ryan's episode are out, we've kind of gotten a more clear picture. And honestly, I listened to both of them back again. I thought about this topic for a long time and it is complex. So anyways, I just want to hear like how you're digesting things now that both are out in the wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought both were very valuable. I probably, if I were to have chosen a side before each of these interviews, I would have probably sided uh, more on the the Pablo side of things. Like the product design like open source perspective. It's like, yeah, I mean, we have we have all these different UI design packs and icon packs and all these different things, and they're super useful for people to learn. And da, da, da. and now we have this for illustration too. This is super cool. I love that it's expanding the resource opportunities, right? And then we heard Megan Ryan talk, and I was like, oh, you make really good points. I had never considered before about devaluing your work and creating extra problems for you at work to have to explain to people why your job is you know, meaningful <laughs> and 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 also like the very specific aspect of like you know it, it's one thing to release free resources it's a, a different thing to release free resources that are usable by commercial means right and that, that makes a big difference so i'm more conflicted now about whether this is or like which side i fall on but i, I have a much better idea of both sides 
now. And yeah, just a lot more empathy for the illustration side of it, like Joshua was saying earlier. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree. It's so complicated still. And I think it's so situational. Like there's so much context around who is releasing it, the quality of the release, the commercial license on it, like the customizability of the set the marketing around it, like all of these things sort of played into this big conversation. But yeah, I I think the thing that resonated the most for me from Megan Ryan's perspective was like, they are constantly just having to explain the value of their job and argue (laughs) that, hey, illustration is important and you actually have to be thoughtful with how it's used and created. Like you can't just copy and paste it everywhere because then None of it makes sense. Also, it doesn't grow on trees. And it doesn't grow on trees. It takes time. You don't get it the same day. And like, yeah. you could just hear them probably even talking with us or like, yeah, okay, we've explained this a million times, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It, it was painful to hear that. I think also I still, I'm just so biased towards open sourcing and giving away for free things that could be free. Like if it could be open, it should be open. So I don't know. I I think the commercial license introduces a little bit of a bump into this, but I still probably opt for like resources should be free and, you know, Bootstrap didn't kill product design, right? I I still probably side with like, I think it enhanced the value of the work we do because we realized how important the application and the thought behind it is. And I think that this could do the same for illustration. It's just a little bit of an evolution to get there or a transition period. As like a stepping stone you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like in the long term, it will be, yeah, of course we're not going to use an illustration kit because it's so important for our brand to get it right with things that fit our language and our marketing. So of course we're going to hire an illustrator, right? I think that's maybe where we'll end up, but Hmm. I don't know. It's complicated. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. It it seemed easier before we talked to both parties. (laughs) And now it's like, oh, yeah, this is a really complicated issue. And both of you make very good points. Yeah. We didn't hear from too many people, just those few tweets. But I'm curious kind of where other people landed. So I don't know. Keep tweeting at us where you land on this free resource conversation. But it was a good conversation to have, I think. Yeah. If you missed it, it's just our, our past two episodes. Also, you know, the thing I wanted to avoid was having it feel like A versus B or like a battle between two episodes. I hope it didn't come off as like adversarial. I think we tried to keep it very question oriented. Also, Pablo's episode was much deeper. Like we went through his whole life story (laughs) or a lot of his life story. Um, And this was just one part of it. So I don't know. I I tried. hope we were fair to all parties involved here with representing their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I think the point was enlightenment rather than opposing sides it's like yeah un- understanding both sides rather than getting information to choose one sure but yeah hopefully we succeeded <laughs> we'll find out all right last topic in follow-up i just wanted to just want to mention something that's been on my mind and you know we talked about this when we did it but that's just the way we name our episodes on design details so for the first like i don't know 280 episodes we had this like whimsical goofy title based on something that was said in the episode and i find myself wanting to go back and find topics from people whose opinions i respect 
But I have no idea if we talked about that thing in the episode because we named it something really dumb. Yeah, it's like piles of unicorns. Like, yeah. Oh, what does that mean? What did we talk about? In... Yeah, contextually, it made sense in the conversation, but yeah. it doesn't tell me what the episode was about. Yeah, I, I think it added some character to the show, but also every podcast does that. And I've started, as I've grown up, <laughs> I, I'm actually starting to value other podcasts who are just straight to the point, letting me choose which episodes I care about. Because there are podcasts that I find really valuable that I skip episodes intentionally. And having it be clear that I can do that seems so respectful of my time. And I feel like that's the right decision. I mean, we made that decision a while back to do that for Design Details. But I've just been thinking about our backlog and like, should we go back or should I go back and like start (laughs) amending some of that? I think it's better for searchability for uh like research and context gathering and it just feels more fair to help people make a decision before they try it what do you think are you going to go back and do show notes for every episode too Uh, nope (laughs) (laughs) because that would make it really searchable that would yeah uh if i do one a week i'll finish by the time i'm 80 so (laughs) okay that's reasonable (laughs) yeah that seems seems about right (laughs) oh man all right well that's all i wanted to say just something on my mind that's it for follow-up. All right. That was a long follow-up, but we've missed two weeks of follow-up, so this seems... Yeah, I say, I think it was long overdue. Yeah, overdue. All right, we're caught up. We have a listener question this week. We do. Okay, so this... Uh, I think we only have one listener question for this week because there's a lot to it, uh, and we got we got lots of stuff to talk about. We have taken notes, so there you go. That's, that's indication of uh, how big this question is. So the question comes from our GitHub repository where we allow you to add issues with questions that you want to ask. And this one is from Manny. Lots of ends. I think there's four ends in there. Manny asks, what's the best onboarding experience? I've been working on some onboarding stuff for an app, something that can be so easy to understand for designers and devs, but for our very not tech savvy users, it could be a pain. There's always those simple onboarding, just swipe through a bunch of features that lots of people will just ignore when they say, I'm one of them. And I'm not a big fan of that. What are the best onboarding experiences you guys have ever had? And what do you think could define a good onboarding experience? Any tips on making a great onboarding experience for not so tech savvy people? Thanks. All right, let's dig in, Brian. Onboarding, the very easy design problem. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, onboarding is probably the easiest part of an app to make. Pretty straightforward. You just make some big, colorful screens, put an illustration in a sentence. (laughs) Yeah, you put your illustration clip art and then make some copy. Uh, Yeah, you copy and paste the illustrations from your company's directory. Sticker sheet, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about what content's below it. Any illustration will do. People will swipe through four or five of them, or they'll probably just hit the skip button, and then they'll land in your app, and they'll know what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. And then they'll be lost for the next month and get really mad at you and leave you a bad app review. Nailed it. Thanks for the question, Manny. Hope this was helpful. Yep. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's dig in. I do want to call out this trend, though. So for a long time, I think we got lazy as like a general zeitgeist trend pattern. I am guilty of this. Yeah, same. Which is... App onboarding was more or less what I just described. It is a series of full screen views, paginated views with an illustration, a couple sentences saying, you will be able to do this. This will work because you've used our product. Value prop. Pictures and value props. A button that says skip, and then you land on some sort of sign up form, or maybe you land in that product's dashboard or whatever it is. So yeah. Why is this bad, Marshall? Why did we... Why was this so lazy? Well, I... 
I said this last episode, and I say it frequently, but people don't fucking read, uh-huh. and they and they just want to use your app, right? Like they downloaded it, and they waited for it to download, and they they put it on the home screen or put it wherever they want it to go, and they tap on it, and then you make them read a bunch of shit, and they just want to fucking use the thing, so uh-huh. uh, they don't work real well. I basically just assume that it's bullshit as well. Like, even if I was reading it, I just assume that it's marketing bullshit growth copy, like, whatever. Uh, you're, you're probably right half the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, the downside is people just skip it. And even if you are communicating important information, you've chosen the wrong point in the user's life cycle to tell them this information. Yep. So let's back up a little bit and talk about onboarding from the very beginning, some different ways people could approach it, the way to think about like a, a user's life cycle through your application. And uh, yeah, then we have some examples of of onboardings that we like and uh, we'll go from there. So let's talk from the very beginning, Marshall, about how users onboard to basically any product. I, th- I think we should probably scope it to like digital software products. We're not talking about yes, like car onboarding or anything. But so we're talking about apps. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. So probably the first experience a user has with your app is either on your like marketing website or in the app store or both. So before you even think about onboarding, you should be thinking about what your app store assets look like. You know, those either the, the video, if you have one, or those, you know, five to how many does Play Store give you? Like nine or something? Those screenshots that you can show people what your app's value proposition is, right? So even before we get into onboarding, let's talk about app store screenshots, Brian. Talk to me. Okay, so there are some common patterns here, and I and I think this isn't a, a a judgment of whether these are the best, but these are things that I that I see pretty frequently. The first is phone in a phone, so it's a screenshot of a phone with a screenshot of your app on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So phone in a phone, and then typically there is a a title that describes what this feature is for this particular screen. And then a, a little subtitle, like a sentence uh, or a phrase describing in greater detail what that feature is. And then through the five screenshots that you have, you, you say, here's the five most important things you need to know about my app and maybe a video to show that stuff off. Is this a, is this a pattern you, you're familiar with as well? Yeah, Brian? this is very common. Yep. Uh, and it's fine. I mostly ignore them because like the phone in a phone, it's so you have to squint to see the UI. So you're mostly just skimming text and then you run back into this original problem of like people don't read so Mm -hmm. uh this feels kind of like uh a lateral movement from my point of view but i think apple realized this as well right because then they introduced something else yeah so they gave us videos yeah yeah so they they allowed everybody to have a i think it's up to 30 second preview video preview but there are some constraints and and i think these constraints are are interesting because they've been in place since the very beginning. And and basically the constraint is you can only stay within the frame of the screen. You can never zoom out and show a thumb tapping or be looking over the shoulder of somebody or show beautiful, happy people running through a meadow in the sunshine holding your holding their phones with your app on it, right? Like it, it's about the app and how the app is used. You can do cool stuff. Like you can you can do like a, a tap indicator, like a, a, a touch indicator that goes around instead of a thumb, right? So you can see what's being tapped on and what's happening. 
beginning. Um, you can also do like interstitial things like title cards, little bumpers at the beginning and the end to have like your company logo or the app logo or whatever. But aside from that, like it has to stay within the bounds of this, the phone screen or the iPad screen, whatever. And I think maybe one of the most easy things to overlook when it comes to making your app preview uh, video is that uh, it's got to work when it's muted, right? By default, all app previews, yeah, are, are muted. Uh, so whatever you do needs to be represented on screen uh, and can't rely on the audio. The audio should be an additional thing. It's like, you know, progressive enhancement, right? Yeah. Or graceful degradation. I forget which one this is. But um, yeah, you need to make sure that it works without audio. So yeah, that, those are kind of the those are kind of the app store things that that are common trends that you should be thinking about. There's also a, a thing that I've noticed of like using the app store screenshots as a large canvas that spans multiple screenshots. Have you seen this brand? Yeah, my favorite one that's doing this right now is I think Todoist. Uh, they're a to-do list app, and it, it their presentation's really beautiful. How it spans across all their screenshots. Yeah, but they're 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 following. It's still the phone and a phone. It's still the the title feature per screenshot, but it treats the whole thing as a large canvas that you that you scroll through. So you're not looking at yeah. little quarantined screenshots, right? This makes this makes you actually want to scroll, or it makes me feel like I want to scroll through because I can see a peek of what the next thing is, right? Right. I think that's probably a good pattern to follow. I think it maybe. Uh, taps into people's need to, to, or maybe taps into FOMO a little bit of like, oh, what's what's the next one? What am I missing? What's hidden? Yeah, yeah. Widen that funnel. Yeah. All right. So this is App Store, but also this applies to marketing pages, which is how are you priming people to use your app? Like, what is the most important thing that you communicate in that first three seconds of the video? What's the most important thing you communicate in that first screenshot in the app description? Like all of this stuff helps set an expectation of what's going to happen when they download that app. What superpowers are you going to give them? How are you going to entertain them or make them more effective? What problem are you solving? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is where it starts. All right. So let's fast forward. So you've done it. You nailed it, right? Perfect video, great screenshots, beautiful marketing page, and people have downloaded or installed your app. And what's next? Huge hurdle overcome, hitting that download button. Yeah. So next is people are going to presumably open your application and this is where we start getting into tricky territory because there's a million applications there's a million types of things that people want to use apps for so there's no one size fits all so we're just going to talk about some high level like patterns to think about the first one is logically at the beginning of a user's like experience with your app which is how do they create an account how do they sign up how do they get past uh, a login screen assuming that there is one so let's talk about auth methods because I think this is important. Like how do you help people get in as quickly as possible in a way that they'll remember? So uh, there's a few ways that are pretty standard, right? Like email and password is probably the oldest and most common method of people signing up for things. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty annoying, right? Like you're typing, you're entering a new password, you're creating a new account that you're gonna have to remember. For people who are using password managers, it's like another flow to go and generate a password. And like, yeah. it's just extra work, right? Yep. So I think people a long time ago realized that this is kind of a pain in the ass. And so a system called OAuth was created where you could sign in with other apps that you already use. So sign in with Twitter, sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook. Uh, the latest contender, of course, is create an account with Apple. So Apple's offering like an OAuth flow more or less and and if you're making an ios app that includes 
any of the other ones aside from Apple, you have to include Apple from now on. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So OAuth, it's a viable option, but it comes with some downsides. I think Apple, I don't want to create accounts with OAuth. The reason is it's very hard to remember. Like you end up creating a lot of accounts with different sign-in methods and you have to then build up a mental map of like, oh, this thing I for sure use Twitter for, but this other thing I used Facebook for, yeah, just not great. Like in isolation, totally fine because it's a smoother experience. But in the grand scheme of a person's life, it's just really hard for them to remember your specific OAuth method that they used. And I, and I think that's probably why Apple wants it anytime you allow any other option, Apple has to be there is so that you can just choose Apple every time. And I think part of the reason that there's this dilemma every time you try to log in to something of remembering which service you used to log in last time, did I actually create an email address and password? Or did I actually use Facebook or Twitter or Google? What, what, what was it? It's because not every single site offers all four options, right? So you do this dance. But if if Apple can be there at every single option, then you don't have to remember which one it was. You always just choose Apple, which is smart of them. Yeah, yeah. I still think I'll probably avoid it personally just because there's so many cases where you download the app first and then want to manage it on a website or something. And it's very likely that those auth methods will be out of sync. Like, I don't know what the sign-in with Apple Story is going to be on the web. Yeah, me either. Well, I already have an account with basically everything anyways, so this would only be on new apps. Well, yeah, but that's what we're talking about here, right? Like onboarding to to new apps. So I think, again, people realize that this is a problem, and so they've gotten creative with other ways to help get people in the door. And one of those ways is by basically not having an account at all. And so that happens with the use of like phone number authentication or email authentication. So basically, like for phone number authentication, you type in your phone number, they send you a code to verify that you own that phone number. If you enter the correct code, then you are signed in. Email authentication works a very similar way. You type in an email address, they send an email to that account containing some sort of secret code or a link, uh, and then pressing that link would take you back to the app signed in. So basically accountless, I mean, you technically have an account, but it's just reducing all this friction and it's not ambiguous like most people have the same phone number for a long period of time or their whole life so if you can just say yeah your phone number is how we authenticate you then you can get in you don't need to type anything crazy right exactly so that's authentication methods um let's fast forward people have created an account in your app and they need to do stuff they're ready to to use it what's next so typically your app does things <laughs> and <laughs> in general your app should uh provide some value yeah just walk out on this limb here and say your app does a thing and l- likely you will have to ask for permission for something whether that's notifications probably more most commonly or camera or photos or contacts or something. But eventually, you, you probably are going to have to ask for access to the user's information in some, uh, to some extent, right? Yes. So there, there are good ways to do this, and there are bad ways to do this. And most, most people do the bad way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about asking for permissions. Uh, here's the bad way. You download an app, you sign in, and you get prompted to give notification permissions. 
you're like, all right, bam, sure, whatever, fine, I guess. This app wants to use your notifications. Wants to give you notifications. Yes or no? Yes, yes or no? Then you hit yes, and it's like, oh, oh, wait, hang on. I also need your location. Boom. And you're like, Ugh. I want your camera. Show me your camera. Yes or no? <laughs> camera, contacts, photos, on and on and on. And most people at that point have dropped off. They're just like, fuck this. I don't, I don't know why you want this. Right? Or they've gone, nope. I don't trust you yet. Yep. Nope. You have disconnected the value of your application with all of the information that you're asking from your customers. So, well, they can always just ask again later, can't they, Brian? No, no, no. Oh. This is a one one go. You get one chance to get those sweet permissions in the most low friction way possible, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the there is a strategy for this, right? It's called permission priming. Basically, the, there's a correct way to do this, which is provide value through your application and then prompt for the permissions that, that people need. And then prompt for the permissions that you need to enhance the functionality of that value. So uh, let's say you're building an email application, right? Maybe you let somebody send an email and then prompt them to opt in for push notifications with the the messaging hey you sent an email do you want us to let you know when somebody replies like mm-hmm. make it very clear why this permission is needed to enhance the functionality of the app but there's situations where maybe you need permissions to actually deliver that initial value so imagine you are a uh, photography app well you're going to need access to that person's camera and you basically have the one chance to make sure that they hit yes on that camera permissions so people will often create like a fake middle step in that permissions flow where they will show you a screen that looks like the permissions prompt and it will have accompanying text saying, hey, you're about to see this. When you see this, be sure to tap the blue button that says allow, right? Big arrow pointing at the okay allow button. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Messenger does this in their onboarding, uh, certainly a lot of camera apps. Um, it's like, be sure to do this. Because if you don't, you're basically blocked out of the app. And then we have to do a whole bunch of work to explain where to go in your settings and, and do all this extra building just to help you from solve a dumb mistake. Yep. So uh, yeah, do that. If you absolutely need the functionality that comes from a user giving you permissions, then make sure that they're prepared and like explain to them, hey, we're going to ask you for this. Be sure that you give it to us because without it, we won't be able to do X, Y, or Z. Here's what we need and here's why we need it. Here's how you do it. Yeah. Okay. So that's permissions. Uh, I was recently reading on Twitter. I think it was Firefox that shared some numbers where, you know how on websites, like you'll land on some news website and you'll immediately Ugh. get this pop-up. It's like, hey, can we send you push notifications? Yes, I, I, I'm aware. And it's super annoying and you hit block uh-huh. every time. Guess how many times I've hit allow? Zero times. Zero. Yeah. So Firefox found some data that basically says you are like everybody, Marshall. Most <laughs> people, like 99.9999999% of people just ignore those prompts. Mm-hmm. So Firefox made the smart design decision to not allow those prompts until the user has engaged with the website in some way. It's like, let people ease into this experience before you start popping shit up, right? Yeah, I would say this is even true of of signing in, right? If someone can use your app without signing in, let them do everything. Let them do everything until the thing requires them to sign in, right? Like thumbing up something right liking something or adding it to a list or whatever yeah then you say hey in order to do that you need to sign in right yeah but like let let their intention drive the permissions i think reddit is an interesting example where they do both the good and the bad thing so if you download the reddit app they do the bad thing of immediately prompting you for push notification permissions bam 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 yep right away that's horrible but 
if you whether you hit yes or no, you can still get in and see content. And then they don't prompt you to create an account until you try to upvote something or leave a comment. So they're hit or miss, but yeah, they at least let you see stuff, which is nice. Yeah, and that's and that's its own onboarding to begin with, right? Like start you off on all, right? R slash all and let you see the value. And then once you try to interact, that's when they ask you to to get signed in. Right. Okay. So fast forward, you've got somebody in the door, they're using your app. How do you help them understand the way the app works, the functionality, what the different tabs do, what the different buttons do? Like most apps have a lot of features, right? So how do you educate people about all of these features and and ways to use it in a way that's not intimidating or overwhelming and in a way that's memorable, right? <laughs> like, what are ways to do this? Teach me. Forced tooltips. Make me walk through a series of tooltips that point at things on the screen, one after another, overloading me with information all up front before I've ever used the app. That's the way to do it. People will for sure remember all of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the way to do it. That is a way to do it, probably not the best way uh, to answer this question. <laughs> Ultimately, though, I, I think, so. so now we're starting to get into, like, you know, actual onboarding. There's a bunch of different ways that that people learn, right? So in in school, there are some learners who only learn from hearing something, right? And visual aids don't necessarily help. There are some people who visual aids are the only way they learn and just having things spoken at them doesn't work. Some people need to to read it and copy it down. Some people need to, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to learn things. But I think if you only attack one of those, so for example, the paginated full screen onboarding thing, that's that's going to be visual and reading, right? But as we say, uh, people don't fucking read. So you're basically just relying on your illustrations at that point. And I hope you have an, a contracted illustrator that you've gotten specific illustrations for. Otherwise, uh-huh. the, the idea is not going to translate. So the better way to do this, in my opinion, is is through doing, right? Or the best examples of an onboarding experience I've ever had are when I've actually done the thing that they're trying to teach me how to do. Have you experienced this before, Brent? Yeah, I have. In fact, I think it sucks because it's the hardest thing to build but it's probably the most effective way to onboard people. Uh, do you have an example of like what it what you mean by doing? Okay, yeah. So so here's a couple good examples. So if you've ever used the the to do app Clear, it has uh, well. So back in the day, they didn't have an onboarding like paginated thing, and and they just dropped you into a list and but a pre populated to do list. And every item in that to-do list was a direction on how to use the app. So it's like swipe to the right to mark this as done, swipe left to delete this. And you could go through and do the action of each to-do and and you would learn the app just by looking at the actual items in the list. Does this make sense? Like it's using the app to teach you how to use the app. Yes, yes. And it was great because it was like, oh, they didn't have to build anything extra. I just went and re-downloaded the app recently, and now they have like an eight-page paginated thing uh, before you even get into that. And they still have the list stuff, which just reiterates all the things that you just learned through the paginated onboarding. So so that's one example of, of using the UI to teach the UI. Another is when you abstract the UI into like a safe playground to let someone do the thing for the first time, knowing that they're not going to fuck anything up with their own data. Uh, so a good example of this is Mailbox. If you remember Mailbox, I think it was Mailbox. They had 
I think it was it wasn't paginated, but it was a step by step onboarding flow. But the only way to to progress from one step to the next was to complete the action. So they were teaching swipe gestures, like this is how you archive a message. You swipe it to the right a little bit, right? And so then they have like a little uh, abstracted phone with a abstracted UI inside of that, and you could tell like this isn't the real thing. This is just me playing around. Yeah. And then I swipe that thing to the right, and it looks. It gives me the same green background with a check mark, and it does everything like it would in the real app, but it's in the safe playground, and I didn't have to worry about fucking my shit up, right? And so, and the only way to get to the next step is to you know successfully complete that step. And that's why I like it so much is because by the time I'm actually in the app, I've already done all of the things I would need to do, but I've done them in a safe way that didn't mess with my data. So those, those would be my two big examples of this. Do you have any of this type of use the UI to, to teach the UI thing? Yeah, I've got a couple, but I think they're both on the same pattern. Like, how do you provide a sandbox for people to learn by doing on a safe set of data where they're not scared that they're going to mess something up in their real life? So this is becoming more common. Like, I've noticed more apps doing it. I think it's a good trend. The problem is it's just a lot more work. You, It is very hard to get right. It takes a lot more building and engineering to, like, provide this sandbox. But a couple examples come to mind of, of companies that are doing this well. So the first one is Notion. That's notion.so. It's like a document collaboration organization tool. And when you sign up, they provide you a blank document, or not a blank document, a pre-populated document titled Getting Started. And in that document, it has all of the commands uh, written out. It says, here's what you can do if you like right-click on this and you can delete it, or you can type slash to, to open the command palette. But it's all sort of documented for you in the tool for documenting things. Like, it's very meta. Mm -hmm. So that's great. So another cool product that we've talked about on the show before that has a fantastic onboarding is Descript, which is a podcast recording, transcription, editing, mixing product. And the really cool thing about their onboarding is that when you sign up for their desktop app, they pre-populate this sample project where the project is audio files of their team teaching you how to use the app. And I think the most clear example that, that made me really just go, oh, this is so cool, is in their recording, they have somebody cough. And it sounds very natural, right? But if you're making a podcast, you definitely want to cut out when people cough. So they're saying, oh, did you hear that cough? How about you go back, select this little area, press delete and delete the cough. So you go and you do that. It's really easy. And then they continue their onboarding. They're like, did you do it? Cool. Wasn't that easy? And then they just continue on. So it's just very self-explanatory. You're reading it. You're doing it. Uh, they're teaching you the keyboard commands by telling you how to use them. It's very, very smooth. And by the end, you come away knowing the keyboard shortcuts and you're familiar with file navigation and how to select stuff and pin stuff and like organize files. It's very, very useful. So I would recommend, even if you're not doing podcast editing, just go and download that one and play around as far as onboarding experiences go. It was really smooth. Yeah, I guess we, so I guess we could put these in a bucket called meta onboarding. Would you agree with that label? It's like a meta where you learn by doing. Yeah, it's using the app to teach the app. Yeah. Meta. So that's a pretty, you know, self-service type of uh, way to do it. Like we'll we'll lay everything out for you, but you gotta you gotta go through the steps to to figure this out. There's the other end of the spectrum, Brian. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I recently got access to Superhuman, which was the the email app. I ended up canceling it 
but their onboarding was very interesting. And it was interesting because you actually have to hop on a phone call with a human being and they walk you through how to use the app. My worst nightmare. So you set up a time in the calendar, you hop on a Zoom call, you have a face-to-face with another human being that works at this company, and they walk you through like, all right, open the app, press this, try doing this. Wasn't that easy? And like, as you're going, you can explain, you can ask questions, they'll give you tips like, oh, go click this button. Okay, you're now composing an email. Well, just so you know, in the future, you can just press the letter C to do that or something. So very manual, doesn't scale, but for a product that charges you $30 a month for an email app, maybe it makes sense. Like maybe that math works out for them. So I guess this example is to just bring up like the context of your product, the price point, the type of customer might lend itself to something way more manual. I'm guessing that's not the case for our question asker, but something to keep in mind. Yeah. And what's interesting about this white glove thing is if you do a bad job of onboarding, someone who's a power user of your app is going to have to do this for a non-tech savvy user of your of your app anyways, right? This is the lean over your, your, your parents' shoulder and be like, okay, this is how you use this thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if, if we do our jobs right, hopefully everybody of any demographic can understand exactly how to use the thing that you just made and spent so much more time making than you did this onboarding flow. Yeah. So I think if we're to sum all of this up, I think like the real underlying point here is how do you get people to a moment of insight, a moment of productivity, a moment of delight as quickly and clearly as possible. And we've described some methods to do that. But, you know, there's these really famous examples in the past. Uh, like, okay, so Facebook had this principle of we need to get people to have a certain number of friends, otherwise they will not return to use our product. Mm-hmm. And so their onboarding was designed entirely around importing your contacts, connecting your email account, searching for friends, finding mutual friends. Like that was what they focused on because they learned through data and research that that was the hook. Like as soon as you had a certain number of friends, you were in the app for forever, right? Uh, having a social network on a social network makes it more usable. <laughs> yeah, go figure. I mean, Twitter had this problem, right? Like when you sign up for Twitter, you have an empty feed. So how do you onboard people? So Twitter, I think they still struggle with this today. It's been a while since I created an account just for funsies. But yeah, like how do we populate this person's feed with interesting, timely stuff as quickly as possible? So they're showing you tweets from celebrities, from sports, from news, right? Like they want to get your feed populated as quickly as possible. So how do you get to that moment of delight as quickly as possible? Yeah, you can do this like full page slider paginated list of illustrations and text, probably not very effective. Uh, But if you can get people to the point where they're doing it and experiencing that delight, then I think that's going to be way more effective, harder to build, and certainly very personal to the kind of app that you're building and the kind of customer that you're building for. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the, the most important point you make here is that uh, this will be extra inch work, right? Like it's going to take extra effort from from both the you know UX and Eng teams to to make a good onboarding flow, and it's not polish, it's not a nice to have. This is necessary, especially 
because it's it's the first impression that your app makes is onboarding. And if you make a bad first impression, you don't get to make a second first impression. <laughs> yes, you've got you've got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Yeah. Oh man, I was thinking of lyrics and I wasn't sure if I should say them. I was going to say we out here. Okay, hang on. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Oh, I really want you to do it now. Onboarding ain't easy, but it's necessary. We out here chasing chasing users like Tom Chase Jerry. Oh, deep. Very deep brain. So I think in, in, in my opinion, we've given some pretty good advice here on, on what's good to do, what's well, bad we've, to do. We've done a brain dump. Yeah, but big brain dump. Hopefully illuminated areas to investigate further, right? Mm-hmm. But the best way to learn how to make a good onboarding experience and what to avoid with a bad onboarding experience is to analyze onboarding experiences and go through a bunch of them yourself. You probably have in your time and you know what works and what doesn't at at a surface level at the very least, but a great resource for diving into an analysis of a bunch of different onboarding flows is useronboard.com. Brian, I'd seen these before. Uh, mostly individually, right? Like embedded in sites, but right. I, I didn't realize that there was a collection of these on a website all together. And you just told me about this today and it's amazing. But Brian, you want to talk about useronboard.com? Yeah, it's it's a great resource. And the reason I came to know about it was because they did a breakdown of Buffer when I was working there and designing their onboarding flow. Like I think we redesigned it and then they did a teardown of it. How, how'd it go? It went pretty good. It's crazy to see my earliest design work. So that's cool. But anyways, so what it is, it's a slideshow where each slide is this author's thought process as they're going through an onboarding for different apps. So some apps they cover like Apple Music, Basecamp, Buffer, Duolingo, Gmail, like they'll create new accounts from scratch on all these apps. And each slide is just walking through, here's how I think of this copy. Look at these CTAs. This illustration is helpful. This part's confusing. Uh, and it's sort of color-coded. What right? is this implying? Yeah. Uh, like orange orange tooltips and arrows and text says, this thing's confusing. Blue says, this is cool. This is useful. And there's just so many of these to go click through. And it's so clearly communicated. Very simple language. It's not super technical. It's very much just here is a normal person trying to articulate what's happening in their head as they sign up for different products. Mm-hmm. And very thoroughly, too. Very thoroughly. So, yeah, that's a good resource. Go check out useronboard.com. Click through. Oh, man, the buffer one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's rough. Oh, boy. But this was 2014, so it's gotten better. Yeah, I, I guess like my last words here, I don't know. Onboarding is really hard. It's really hard to yes. get it right the first time. I think yes. you will be data informed, research informed. Go talk to users. Uh, you can use some some tracking and analytics to understand where people are dropping off. Go figure out why that drop off point was confusing. Uh, if people aren't giving permissions where you need permissions, go figure out why. Are you not priming it correctly? Are you not explaining the value of that correctly? Like it's going to be a process. It's not a one and done oh, we're going to do onboarding this month. It's like, this is going to be an ongoing learning process, right? Yep. So good luck. Hopefully this was helpful, Manny, with, with some resources and next steps. Yeah, there's a 45 minutes of pontification on onboarding. Hopefully some <laughs> yeah. of that was useful. Yeah. All right, should we start wrapping? Yeah, let's, let's do some cool things, Brian. All right, here's my cool thing of the week. This is an app made by friend of the pod, past guest, off- referenced human being gabe valdivia gabe gabe what's up this app is called tonic 
And Tonic is really cool because as listeners may know, I spend a lot of time thinking about online privacy and security and I rant about stuff on Twitter and I get mad at companies that abuse my uh, information and hoard my data and I hate it. And apparently there's a startup called Canopy uh, where our friend Gabe works at that also feels the same way. So they made an app called Tonic and what Tonic does is really, really interesting. So they provide personalized content every day to your phone and it's personalized without collecting any data about you. So speaking of onboarding, you don't have an account. Your phone is the account. And over time, the the software on your phone learns about what kinds of suggestions it should offer in the future. So it doesn't collect your name. It doesn't have demographic information, doesn't have location information. It doesn't need to know who your friends are. It just learns by your experience, how long you spend reading articles, what kinds of articles uh, you're tapping on, things like that. It's very, very minimal, I guess is the right word. Like there's not a whole lot of surface area in the app. Basically, each day you get five new articles. When you've gone through those or you don't want to read them, you're done. So it's it's not like a never-ending news feed. It's not a news app that just sucks you in throughout the day with new updates. It's like, here's five things that we think you'll find interesting for the day. That's it. Come back tomorrow. See you then. So yeah, it's a great little app. I recommend people try it. There's no account. There's no data collection. The whole company is focused on this idea of can we personalize content for people without hoarding their information? And it's pretty good. Uh, They just released dark mode and they just released a feature that lets you swap out articles. So you get five a day. And if you don't like a couple of them, you can basically swap them out for another, but you only get five swaps per day. So at the most, there's 10 articles a day that you can decide whether or not you're interested in. uh, And then you move on and live the rest of your life until the next set of articles comes in. So uh, as you're talking, I was like, I'm going to download this. This sounds great. And it does sound great. And I'm going through the onboarding, Brian. And? Guess what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's it's paginated with a title, a little sub-sentence, uh, yeah. and an illustration. The illustrations are good, though. They're very good. And it's actually interesting. Instead of, typically, it's illustration up top and title and text below. But this is flipped, where title and text is up top and images below. Uh, but if you look at their website, it's the exact same like three steps in the website. This is cool, though. I'm looking forward to using it myself, sir. Yeah, I, I just... I mean, I don't know. I'm so discouraged this week with online privacy and it's just a never ending battle. And it's really refreshing to see a company whose whole ethos is how do we get back to like a normal landscape online where we can help you find things that you like and we don't have to know everything about you. We don't need to know every decision that you and your friends and your family have made all the way back to when you were born. Like we're going to figure out what you like based on what you read. And we're going to do that on device, not on our servers. I think that's really cool. And so people should check it out. So it's called Tonic. The URL is canopy.cr slash tonic. Otherwise, I'm sure you can just search for tonic in the app store. I think it's iOS only right now. Let me double check that. It looks that way. All the marketing is for iOS. So I'm going to say Android users, you're out of luck for now. But uh, they have a nice website as well if you want to go take a look at that. So well done, Gabe. And cool thing. Cool thing, Brian. All right, cool. So um, my cool thing this week is from a thing that just launched recently, Apple TV Plus. Did you sign up for it, Brian? Uh, I have a free year because I upgraded my phone. Because you get the phone. Yep, me too. I was like, oh, this is a nice plus. I was probably going to get it anyways. So I guess I saved whatever, $60 by buying a multi-hundred dollar phone. But 
There were a few shows that I wanted to watch. The morning show looked interesting. That elephant movie looked interesting. But the one that I was most stoked about was C, the Jason Momoa, everybody's blind thing. Right. Did that one appeal to you as well? Uh, No. See, it strikes me as like a, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's definitely a fantasy type thing. Like this is this is like a novel that I would read, right? I yeah, I think I like I could see it as a book because when I watch the trailer, I I become that really annoying person that's like, oh well, then how did they do this? Nobody can see. How do they have all this like beautifully crafted weaponry? Yeah, yeah. Why is there? Why are there colors in their adornments? In right? like you watch them running around the village, and it's like, okay, I don't know. I guess you could explain they evolved to be this good, but also. I just don't think a civilization where nobody can see would actually look like this. I don't know. <laughs> I'm overthinking it, and that's what is tripping me up from wanting to dive in because I think I would overthink it the whole time. Like I would get caught up on the details of the premise instead of just enjoying the story. Some suspension of disbelief is necessary, for sure. Sure. But also there are some interesting explanations for how they're able to function as well as they function. Like, for example, in in their village, the way the village is set out is very much like a grid, and there is a rope that goes from the door of each homestead to the kind of the main street, but it's at, like, above head height. So you touch your your sword or whatever and and you touch the uh, rope as you go along and it has little strings that hang down that will like hit you in the nose you know <laughs> as you walk forward so yeah. you know exactly that you're on the line right uh, which is interesting. I think you could have achieved the exact same thing with like paving stones on your feet and you have to get hit in the face with tassels every day but <laughs> You should go give them some some critique, some village yeah. critique. Yeah, they're they're thinking about it. Well, this is the perfect example of our of the of the uh, sidewalk tiles that we talked about when I first yeah. joined the show. Yeah, tactile pavement. Exactly. Thank you. Is that what it's called? Right. Yeah, tactile pavement. You nailed it. Tactile paving. I think is the other the other name for it. Anyways, but that's not what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is is this kind of fantasy aspect of it, and there's it's a whole world building thing. So the premise is. At some point during this century, a virus wipes out most everybody except for a couple million people, and everybody who's left alive is sightless. And it's a virus, so basically we're taken back to a primal early civilization state where it's very tribal, very superstitious. There is a a negative connotation to sight. It actually becomes heresy to even mention it. It's like a myth that people could ever see. So... All of that stuff is really interesting to me of, of like the world building of it. There's an entire like religion thing and a power structure. There's a queen. It's like Game of Thrones but blind. without dragons a little bit. Okay. Some of the acting isn't super great, but like Jason Momoa kills it. But yeah, it's 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 the lore that appeals to me. I think the most is is all that that world building stuff, and and it's got it in abundance. Plus, there's some mystery and stuff. And and as each episode unfolds, I think there's four out right now. As each episode unfolds, you learn more about the world and about its different people and the customs and everything, and kind of what has become the new norm. It's really really interesting because okay. it's not like yeah. these aren't people on a different planet. This is this is like us if if we couldn't see right it's like all you have to do is take away or or kill most people like if most people (laughs) die and the rest kill everybody yeah and then nobody left over can see like what kind of society rises from that right yeah it's really interesting okay hearing you talk about it i guess i want to watch 
an episode and see how I feel. I'm being too negative before I give it a shot, I think is what I'm realizing. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's received very good critic reviews. I, th- I think it's like 50% or something I like that. I don't care Twitter's. that much about critic reviews. I care more about like what, can I, can I have an interesting conversation about this with you or with other people who watch it, right? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I think there's some cool not in the script things like like set dressing and set design things that that add a lot of flavor that are really interesting. Okay. Yeah. So C, check it out. All right. Well, cool thing. Uh, I'll report back. I'll watch the first episode and report back next week. So please do. Actually, speaking of next week, we're going to be recording in person, Marshall. Yeah, you're going to be in town. That's crazy. I'll be in town. So yeah, we'll have a a fun in-person episode for next week. So stay tuned. This has been episode 322. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. If you are enjoying the show and want to support us, just a dollar a month means the world. It's going to get you access to our back catalog and all future episodes of Bonus Land, as well as a sponsor-free personalized feed for you. So that's at patreon.com slash design details. Thank you to everybody who has supported us so far. Of course, thank you to Flatiron School for making this episode possible. Flatiron School is where you can learn how the future is being built. They have a 24-week course to help you level up your UI and UX skills working on real client projects so that you graduate with real work. You can work with industry-leading teachers that have experience teaching and working as designers. And of course, they're going to help you with one-on-one support from a dedicated career coach to make sure that you land exactly where you want to land as a designer. Go to flatironschool.com slash design details to get started. So thank you, Flatiron, for making this episode possible. Thank you again, of course, to Sarah and Drew, our editor and producer extraordinaire who make us sound smarter than we are. They produced and edited this show along with other shows on the Spec Network, which is a podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Go to spec.fm to check out more shows if you are craving more podcasts. And uh, otherwise, that's it. We'll catch you next week and tweet at us in the meantime. Catch you on the flippity flop.